Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy that can only be described as hotter than ABBA in the Nevada sun in a real small car with the windows rolled up. He is the captain. I digress. You play sorry. I play chess. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are sipping on Black Galaxy IPA by the good folks down at Beacon Brewing Company in Georgia. Sit back, relax, and let this Cascadian dark ale take you to another dimension. This is some really good stuff. ABV 6.6% garage grade, 4 out of 5 bottle caps. And we want to give some big praise and thank yous to our good garage friends. First up, we have Micah B., in the parts that are unknown. And a big we like your jib to Devin and keep it classy San Diego. Next up, we have a cheers to Dustin C. Driving all over the place in Bangor, Maine. And he uses this show to keep him company while he's on the road. And a big shout out to Misty in Knox, Indiana. And a big we like your jib goes out to Brittany in Sherwood Park, Alberta. I know you and Carl have been looking to come visit Parts Unknown, but you got to put down your deposit on the BNB. Next up, here's a cheers to Emmeline in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And last but certainly not least, we have Deborah in North Royalton, Ohio. Everyone we just mentioned, they went to truecrimegarage.com and they clicked on the donate button to donate to this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. All right, everybody, raise your glasses. To the B-E-E-R-U-N Beer Run for everything true crime. Check us out at truecrimegarage.com when you're there. Sign up on the mailing list so you are in the know for our promo codes. And also check out our store page. And Colonel, that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. 
what I heard was acid is groovy, kill the pigs. And I believe I heard that twice at first. That was the first thing that I remember hearing. But it's very jumbled because that's mixed up with my wife screaming, Jeff, help me. And my daughter screaming. She looks funny. We have a triple homicide. We have a man in the hospital, the sole survivor of an attack that went down by four intruders, according to his account. What we have, too, Captain, is a crime scene that does not provide us any obvious signs for a motive. We have no signs of a break-in, right? When MPs responded to Jeffrey McDonald's call explaining that his family had been stabbed, they arrived on scene and they found the front door to the apartment locked and secured. They found the back door open. And if, and if you believe that there was intruders, you go, well, okay, that makes sense. But if you believe there wasn't an intruder, it still makes sense because the weapons were found discarded in the backyard. One thing that I do like about this case, and it's funny to say you like anything about a triple homicide. What I like about this case from an investigative standpoint is you only have two options. Okay. So if you are out there listening to this case, you maybe you've never heard of this case before and you're thinking what the hell could have happened here. Let me clear it up for you real quick. One of two things happened. Either four people entered this home, attempted to murder four people, only successfully killed three of them and fled the scene Mm -hmm. or Jeffrey McDonald killed his family, staged the scene and provided law enforcement with a story to cover why he's alive and the three other members of his family are dead. Those are your only possibilities here. So don't let your imagination run wild. It's either a or B. And if you're going to come to a conclusion, you have to pick a side and you only have those two sides to choose from. So either the intruders entered through this back door, attempted to kill everybody inside, and then fled, leaving the back door open, or Jeffrey McDonald killed his family and the instruments that he used to kill them. He opened up the back door, tossed them outside, and then called the police. Right. And all the weapons that were used, like you said before, were found with inside the house. They don't believe These were weapons that were taken to the scene of the crime. But again, still possible if you have four intruders that they use weapons that they they could just be breaking in. They they might not have been planning on murdering anybody. And then they go, okay, well, we're here. Might as well. And we have, let's see what we have as weapons. That So that could apply for the intruder theory. It also implies for the husband killing his whole family. And you really question again, a crime scene that leaves us with no obvious signs for a motive. It doesn't leave us with any obvious signs of a motive that Jeffrey killed his family. I mean, this was a a family man. His children were five and two. He had been married for a while. This was okay. So maybe his daughter wet the bed. We know for a fact that she did wet his side of the bed. That's, Mm -hmm. that's an absolute fact. What he decided to do when he noticed that is one of two things, either he gets in an argument, loses control and kills his family, or he goes to sleep on the couch as he said. But when it comes to the intruders, 
we don't have a robbery that took place. We don't have missing items from the home. The only evidence that we have of anything uh, of motive as far as intruders would go is this the word pigs written in blood on the headboard. Jeffrey McDonald and his family represent the man and, and represent whatever these people have an issue with with society. And maybe they're trying to they're trying to carry out Manson family type murders and attacks mm-hmm. that really are I mean, at the heart of the Manson family murders was to instill fear and create these race riots. And we wouldn't necessarily learn that 1970, but it's almost these senseless murders, right? Right. That they're, that they're one in the same as a similar thing that went down in California is now going down in North Carolina. These drug crazed cult hippies are, they're willing to break into anyone's home. And kill anybody just because. And I don't want to get into a big debate because we're not covering the Manson case, but that's not what I believe the motive was in that murder. Let's get into Jeffrey McDonald's description of the four intruders, because as said, this only went down one of two ways. The four intruders did it or Jeffrey McDonald did it. This is from his 1970 interview. He describes these four individuals as follows. The most famous of the suspects here would be the lone female intruder. She's the one that people who have followed this case, or if you have any awareness of this case, you've heard about her. She is really one of the centerpieces of of this case. So he describes one blonde female wearing a floppy hat, high boots, and a short skirt. He says he could not recall the color of the boots, although I've seen statements, not by McDonald, but I've seen statements put out there that the boots were were either white or brown. He says he cannot recall the exact color of the boots. He said that they were wet. When he saw the boots, that, that they were shiny or they appeared to be wet and that this woman was holding a candle or flashlight in front of her face, and she was the one saying that acid is groovy, kill the pigs. Someone was saying hit him again, and he said it might have been the female intruder who was saying hit him again. Mm -hmm. This lady he describes as Caucasian female, 16 to 25 years of age, 5'2 to 5'4 inches tall, approximately 110 to 130 pounds, long, light blonde hair hanging to the middle of her back, wearing a large floppy hat, dark colored, high brown or black fake leather boots, possibly either a short skirt or shorts, medium build. And again, holding a lit candle in front of her body or flashlight, the male intruders, he says one was a Caucasian male, 18 to 25 years old, 5 foot 10 inches tall, 170 to 180 pounds, medium build, wearing a tan jacket, clean shaven, wearing a cross on a chain around his neck. Another one of the male intruders, also Caucasian, again, 18 to 25 years of age, 5 foot 7 inches tall, 140 to 150 pounds, dark hair, slight to medium build, thin mustache, Deep-set eyes with pockmarks on cheeks and chin, wearing a sweatshirt with hood 
dangling down in the back. The other intruder he describes as a black male, age 18 to 24 years of age, approximately 5 foot 10 inches to 5 foot 11 inches tall, 160 to 180 pounds, medium build, medium complexion. He had black hair cut close to the head and was where well kept wearing an army fatigue jacket with Sergeant E six stripes. The man was clean shaven and had a chubby face. That's the brilliance of this case. Captain again, it's one of two things. Either these four intruders killed this family or Jeffrey McDonald killed his family. The thing here though, captain, that's so fascinating to me is it's a very detailed account per McDonald. What happened that night and who is responsible? Mm-hmm. Not only is it picking one side or the other, but you're going to, if you believe the intruder theory, his account is so, so detailed. I think that that's where you run into trouble as an investigator on this case. Because you go, he gave such a detailed account of the intruders and what went down that night. How could he be lying? How could he make it up? But then it's also, the details are are so much so there that that could be his downfall as well. Yeah, but it's also the way, and we talked about this, we talked about this after recording yesterday's show, was the way he presents the evidence. It's, it's almost like he blurs it. Well, and I think I... I did this and I think at that point I was going in and out of consciousness. And even when he talks about hearing his wife scream that he then thinks he hears his daughter scream, but it was all jumbled. It's almost like by blurring the lines a little bit, it's setting up a get out of free jail card. So if you tell him, well, that the the forensic evidence doesn't back that up, he can go, well, I don't know if my details are a hundred percent correct. There's also a problem with that part of his account, in my opinion, to to say that there were only four intruders and that he hears his wife screaming, Jeff, why are they doing this to me at the same time that he's being attacked by the four intruders? Seems a little difficult to put that all together if, in fact, there were only four people that broke into his home that night. While we're talking about the crime scene, Captain, I want to point something out here, and and I want to take something out from the investigation, because I think that this case gets very confusing when you start overlapping all of the evidence, the would-be evidence, or evidence that nothing is there. And one thing is the footprints, okay? So one thing that the MPs immediately questioned in their investigation and Jeffrey McDonald's account of what went down that night Mm -hmm. is it had been raining all night when these four intruders came into the home and McDonald's account as well says he believed the boots, the female boots that he saw were wet, soaking wet. Why were there not wet footprints all over the house? Why was there not mud, muddy footprints and debris, you know, grass and stuff like that inside the home? Well, this is also a bloody scene. So where's the bloody footprints of of these? There was one bloody footprint found inside the house. Mm -hmm. And it was Jeffrey McDonald's footprint um, where he had stepped in blood and you could see his, his footprint 
was found there, which makes sense going off of his account. He woke up after he was attacked. He goes room to room looking to help his family. So obviously you would expect to find that there. The reason why I say let's go ahead and toss out the footprint theory, because I don't think that you can conclude that there were intruders or not intruders based off of, well, we didn't find any wet or muddy footprints inside the house. And I say that because we have a statement from the military police themselves. 14 military police were inside that crime scene while they were investigating, securing the area, trying to get help to these four people who were attacked. And their own detectives say, we didn't find any footprints from the MPs. So if you didn't find any footprints from the MPs, it's also logical that you may not find any footprints from the intruders. Correct. So I think we can go ahead, looking at the crime scene, toss out footprints or no footprints, as it doesn't help us decide if there were intruders or not. The other thing I want to go ahead and throw out as well are fingerprints. Because we have statements in court documents that make it sound like there were probably some intruders in the house because we had 30, three zero unidentified fingerprints found inside the McDonald apartment. Well, that's a lot of, a lot of unidentified fingerprints. If you go into most people's homes, you are going to find unidentified fingerprints mm-hmm. in most people's homes. One thing that's very interesting about this is the daughter's. They failed to fingerprint the daughters in their investigation. Mm. So it's whoopsie. Isn't it conceivable to believe that two young people that lived in this house mm-hmm. every day probably left some of their own fingerprints in that house and you have 30 unidentified fingerprints because you failed to fingerprint two of the people that lived inside of the home and possibly other acquaintances of the family correct so there again i don't think that fingerprints with or without them helps us decide if there were intruders or not that night so toss out the footprints or lack of footprints toss out the fingerprints and we'll continue through the evidence and while we're on the suspects here captain the description of the intruders provided to us by jeffrey mcdonald One thing that has really confused this case and made it extremely difficult is that the woman he described, the woman in the floppy hat, as she is famously known, this woman was found. This woman was located. A woman matching that description was located and questioned and said that on the night of the murders that she had gone out for a ride with three of her friends, her three male friends, and they were so far out on drugs that she could not tell you what she did that night or where she was. She could have been at the McDonald house. She doesn't know. That is what led to the Article 32 hearing of dismissing the case against Jeffrey McDonald. The Army said basically, look, there's not enough evidence to try this man. Right. And second of all, There's been a woman located that matches the description of the woman in the floppy hat. She cannot account for her whereabouts that night. She was on drugs. Now, mind you, the army kind of decided that whoever committed these triple homicides, that they were either 
mentally insane or hopped up on drugs. Right. LSD. Yeah. Or or what have you. Tune in. So tune in and that's what gets difficult about this case, Captain. They found this woman named Helena Stokely, who she matches the description because she says that she borrowed a hat from a friend, a floppy hat. Mm-hmm. Borrowed a blonde wig from one of her friends because Helena Stokely does not have blonde hair. She has very dark hair. And apparently doesn't own a floppy hat. She says that that night, her and her three friends, they were out doing drugs and she was so hopped up on drugs. Can't tell you exactly what she was doing, but she knows she was wearing that blonde wig and that floppy hat. Then we have witnesses coming forward that start telling police that Helena Stokely told them that she was somehow involved in these murders, that she was at the McDonald house that night, that she had seen how it went down. Yeah, I think there's a clip of her saying that she, at one point, yelled, acid is groovy, kill the pigs. She also says that she believed that she said hit him again once or twice while she was inside the home. Right, which is two things that Jeffrey claims that these intruders said. Mm -hmm. So then you go, look, most of the evidence doesn't point to there being an intruder. Most of the evidence points to this dude is guilty. He's a piece of shit for killing his family, right? Mm -hmm. But this is a big piece. We now now have this lady that he's claiming was there when he was attacked and when the murders took place. And she's going, oh, yeah, by the way, I borrowed a hat borrowed a wig i was there now i'm telling people not only was i there but this is what i said now again i wonder where she could have got this information from is it possible that she got this information from press releases and there were dozens of witnesses saying that she told them that she was there that night yeah this was before she was being looked at before her name was known to this case and in the papers well and that gives it more weight to me because if she was only making statements after she was arrested in question then it, to me it would just be like well here's here's maybe some druggy mm-hmm. that's looking for their 15 minutes of fame but she's telling people this before she's identified as one of the intruders so in 1970 was the year of the murders and the year of the article 32 hearings that were conducted by the U.S. Army to decide if we're going to try and, and, and court-martial Jeffrey McDonald. Even though it was dismissed, it sounds like they wanted to look at this Helena Stokely person, figure out her possible involvement in this whole thing, but at the same time, Jeffrey McDonald was still considered a suspect in this case, even though they dismissed the case. Right. Like I said, because the majority of the evidence really points to him. So shortly after he gets out of these Article 32 hearings, he starts doing media interviews, TV shows. Uh, You heard it there in the trailer in some clips there. He goes on and he starts telling what happened uh, on live TV or on these different TV shows. And remember Freddie Kassab, his father-in-law. Kassab stood by Jeffrey McDonald. However, he starts seeing his son-in-law on these TV shows 
And he starts hearing the stories that McDonald's telling on these TV shows. And he's saying, wait a second, this isn't matching up with what some of the stories we've heard from McDonald before. There's all these slight variations of these stories. Well, and I'm also assuming that he had some private conversations. Jeffrey had some private conversations with his father-in-law and probably told him some details too. So, Absolutely. Both Freddie and Mildred Kassab, the in-laws, Colette's parents, testified on Jeffrey McDonald's behalf at the Article 32 hearings, mm-hmm. saying that, that they were more emotionally invested in this case than anyone else in the room, and neither of them considered Jeffrey McDonald to be a suspect. And I think that that rang loud and clear to the persons at that Article 32 hearing. Right, because essentially they're victims, right? Mm-hmm. So you have victims saying, hey, we don't think this is the guy. So It was their daughter. It was their granddaughters. Right, because a lot of times, let's say you have just a little pile of evidence, and you go, but we don't know if this is enough to convict him. But sometimes those jurors are going to weigh in favor of let's at least charge this guy. Let's put him on trial because we have these victims and they need justice. But now you have live victims in the courtroom saying, we don't need justice because this isn't the guy. What you also have is Jeffrey McDonald moves out to Long Beach, California, very quickly after the Article 32 hearings are dismissed. Play on, player. Now we have Freddie Kassab, who's starting to see his son-in-law on TV going, These his stories are different. He's starting to explain different injuries that he sustained during these attacks that he did not sustain, that Kassab knew Jeffrey did not sustain. Right. And so he keeps calling his son-in-law. This is over the course of months and months and months. McDonald's out in California, and Kassab is getting him on the phone constantly saying, we need to find these four people that killed our family. In particular, Kassab wanted a, he wanted to have a copy of the 2000 page transcript of the article 32 hearings. Now Kassab wanted this and we would learn this later captain, but Kassab wanted this because he wanted to see what McDonald's statements were to MPs that night. He wanted to see what uh, Jeffrey had told investigators all along and compare it to what Jeffrey told him and what he sees Jeffrey telling in the newspapers currently and when he was on these TV shows. He wants to compare all of this. Jeffrey McDonald keeps telling Kassab that that's not a document that the Army is willing to hand out. I've contacted them multiple times. I've asked them for this document. It's 2,000 pages roughly. They're not willing to give it to me. Right. Well, Freddie Kassab's he wasn't born 10 minutes ago. Mm. Eventually, he decides to contact— that would make him a really young— father and grandfather he decides to contact the army himself Mm -hmm. and they do in fact provide him with a copy of the transcript of the article 32 hearings yeah and my issue with this is look you know you're you're the father-in-law it's not about so much the infidelity whether you think married people should hook up with other people it's the lying about it right if 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 jeffrey's wife was okay with it who am i to say what they do in their marriage But when you're lying about it, you're doing something that she doesn't want to do. And then now on top of that, his father-in-law is catching him in another lie. So all all I'm stating is that now we know he's a liar. 
So what else is he lying about? Freddie and Mildred Kassab wanted to carry on a family-type relationship with Jeffrey McDonald after Colette and the kids were murdered. They wanted to carry on a relationship with their son-in-law. He's out in California. He kind of he responds to their calls, talks to him on the phone, but he doesn't really want much to do with them, is what Kassab would tell us. Kassab keeps saying, we've got to find out who did this. Well, McDonald tells Freddie, we don't have to worry about Colette's murder anymore. We don't have to worry that the police have not found anyone, have not arrested anyone, because me and a couple of other Green Berets, we tracked down one of the men that was responsible for the murders that night. We found him in Texas, and we went there and we did some street justice that night. We, we took care of him. You killed him. I broke my arm in the process, but me and a couple of guys from the Green Berets, we took care of one of the guys. So, Freddie Kassab, you don't have to worry about Colette's murder anymore. We're taking care of it. Here's my big problem with this. Again, we know he's a liar. You know that your son-in-law's a liar. So, I don't buy this bag of horseshit story one bit, right? Right. Jeffrey... McDonald is not some tough guy. And what it seems to me is you go motive was the motive. His daughter taking a piss in his bed. No, 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 no. The motive was he didn't want to be married and he didn't want to have kids. And he wanted to just sleep with whoever he wanted to and not have to answer anybody. And we have now extra evidence of that. What does he do? Does he try to stay in the area and try to get justice for his wife and his daughters no and for his unborn baby no what does he do he goes out to la he wants to try to act like a playboy well he says he goes out there captain because he just couldn't continue to live his life the way he was when he was married and when he had children that that being around his in-laws talking with his in-laws only brought up all of the pain full memories and all of the nightmares that he was having so he says in his own defense that that is a big portion of why he moved out to California and why he didn't want to look into the murders the way that Freddie Kassab wanted to look into these murders. Now, when was Freddie Kassab born, Captain? Uh, not yesterday. Not 10 minutes ago. We, don't, we didn't have it in our timeline for when he was born, but we know it wasn't 10 minutes ago because mm-hmm. he contacts Jeffrey McDonald's employer out in California. Remember, McDonald told him he took a trip out to Texas with some of his Green Beret buddies and they did some street justice. Yeah. He told him what dates that he was in Texas. Kassab speaks with McDonald's employer and finds out, no, he was in California and he was at work on those days that he claimed to have been in Texas solving the murder of his wife and daughters. Yeah, yeah. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Now, now, hear me out, though, too. Think about how, how this makes zero sense at all. By the way, you don't have to worry about the murders anymore because we already took care of one of the pieces of shit. If you're willing to get a couple of Green Berets and go do some prison justice and possibly put be put into prison for the rest of your life for murder, you're not going to stop at one of the intruders. You're going to make sure that you find every single one of the intruders and you make sure they're dead. Have you ever seen a Liam Neeson movie when <laughs> he, he went after the kidnappers and he killed one and said, okay, well, there, I know there's another three out there, but movie's over, folks. Get your popcorn and get the fuck out of the theater. No, that's not what happens. Liam Neeson gives you a call and says, I'm coming for you. And he comes after all of them and kills them all. 
Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch. Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. 
With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code TrueCrimeGarage50 at Factormeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back, you true crime addicts. Cheers to you, and cheers to the goat, the colonel. Hallelujah to the people in the back. Some people like to call you the baby goat. I see some of you back there nodding off. Wake up. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Captain, I believe that it was Freddy Kassab that really spearheaded this investigation to finally bringing charges against Jeffrey McDonald. The way that this works is McDonald is he's discharged from the army. So if he would have remained an officer in the army, this would have been an army problem, right? They would have had to take this thing to trial and do it their way. But once he's discharged, he becomes a civilian again. And now it becomes the problem of the local law enforcement agency. We have Freddie Kassab, who he starts setting up meetings with different detectives and explaining to them things that they missed, things that Jeffrey McDonald is saying to him that he knows not to be true, saying to them why they should be charging his son-in-law with the murder of his daughter and two granddaughters. It's not until 1979. Okay, they were killed in 1970. Mm -hmm. The Article 32 hearings were in 1970. But in 1979, they finally take Jeffrey McDonald to trial, and he's charged with three counts of murder. Again, because you have the victims pleading for justice. Correct. What's interesting here is the opening statements by the prosecution, they talk at length about that magazine the, remember the magazine articles that we were talking about in yesterday's show about the Manson family murders and how Jeffrey McDonald was having a conversation with his friend, Lieutenant Harrison about, can you believe what's going on in California? Can you believe these crazy hippie cults that are mm-hmm. killing people? Well, they discussed that Esquire magazine at length in the opening statement because they said what happened was. Jeffrey McDonald flew off the handle, lost it. There was an argument between him and his wife that turned violent. At some point, McDonald strikes her in the head with that 
piece of wood or the club. And then he goes on to kill his wife and his two daughters. When he had to come up with a reason of what happened, he remembered back to the magazine articles about the crazy cults that are breaking into people's homes, the drugged out, uh, insane hippies that are looking for blood. Acid is groovy, man. He remembered those articles and he set up the scene to make it look like that is what went down. And he had the story, the alibi already written for him. It was in the Esquire magazine, the March 1970 Esquire magazine issue. Yeah. And it seems believable because it just happened and the trial hasn't even happened yet in the Manson family murders. So if it could happen out West, why couldn't it happen out East? It could happen anywhere, Mm -hmm. anywhere where there's young people doing drugs that, that want to do violence for no reason at all. I would just say it's less likely to happen on Fort Bragg or any army facility. Well, this was not a closed army base. This base was actually open to the public. Some of them are closed and that that's one thing that you, you go, okay, well, if it went down the way McDonald's said on a closed base, they would have, they would have found the people that did this that night. Mm-hmm. But that's not the situation here. I'm just saying. What they're going to go on to present, Captain, is evidence that McDonald's story, it's just not right. It's a little horseshit. There there are problems with his story. And again, you only have one of two outcomes here. He's, He's laid the groundwork for us. He told us the story, the alternative story of what happened to his family. If you don't believe that he killed them, you got to believe the other one. So they start tearing apart his story. I I don't like the fact that all the weapons or all the instruments of murder came from within inside the home. I also don't like the fact that we have no footprints and we have no evidence of fingerprints being from any of these intruders, quote unquote intruders. Uh, The other piece of evidence that I really think works against him is he claims that there's this struggle on this fight and he's being attacked and stabbed inside the home in the family room and they find zero of his shirt fibers in the family room. Yes, so remember his description of what went down. He says at some point his pajama top must have been pulled up over top of his head. It's around his forearms and his hand and he's using this to fend off the attacker. And there's all of these puncture holes in his pajama top. He says that he's using this to fend off them, trying to strike him with the ice pick or with the knife. He doesn't know. It's kind of a blur. You know, it all happened very quickly. But what the captain's pointing out is that attack per Jeffrey McDonald went down in the living room or family room, what have you. There are no fibers torn off fibers from that pajama top found in the living room. Mm-hmm. Where you do find pajama top, Jeffrey McDonald, PJ top fibers are in the bedrooms. Right. Where Colette was killed in the master bedroom and his daughters who were killed in their bedrooms. Well, and I have an issue with something and it's not really pointed out in a lot of arguments that you see online, but him taking his daughter that wet the bed and putting in, putting her into her bed. I know that times were different, but a lot of the times 
you have to clean the kid up because if not, they can get rashes and stuff. And so for him to be a doctor and to go, okay, well, I'm going to move her out of the bed, but there's pee and I don't want to clean it up. So I'll just sleep on the couch. You still need to clean up your daughter. And he's very detailed about so many parts of the story, but he never says why I picked up my daughter and then, then I cleaned her off and then I put her to bed. Well, let's take that fiber evidence a step further because there's something else that lines up with that fiber evidence. Mm -hmm. He says that he was struck in the head with that club or that piece of wood in the living room. Mm -hmm. Well, we know that some of the other victims, Colette in particular, were struck in the head or neck area with that club or that piece of wood. They found splinters, little pieces of fragments of the piece of wood, right? Mm -hmm. Of the club. Where did they find those? Not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles father. They found them in the bedrooms, not in the living room where he says he was attacked. So therefore it didn't happen. So again, the physical evidence is not lining up with his story. Liar, liar, pants on fire. The other issue is he says that he administered mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on the three victims inside the home. Yeah, this is a good one that you're pointing out on break. Out of the three other victims, two of them, both of his daughters, were found in their beds. Anybody that's done mouth-to-mouth, even just somebody like me who's just trained in, in CPR and first aid, mm-hmm. I'm no doctor, right? This guy's a surgeon. But you are a colonel. The two daughters are found in their beds, and they're fo- found lying on their sides. If he had administered mouth-to-mouth to them, one would think, being a doctor, he would know that you're, you should lay them out flat. You're going to have to move or manipulate the body once you find them in their bedrooms, lay them flat, and administer mouth-to-mouth that way. All right. Makes zero sense. So it just doesn't look like he did what he said that he did. Let's take it a step further. Law enforcement, the detectives, were able to determine that the pig that was written in blood, Colette's blood, on the headboard in the master bedroom, mm-hmm. whoever wrote that used two fingers to smear the blood to make the letters and wore gloves when they applied the blood to the headboard. Mm-hmm. They could tell this because there were no fingerprints. They take that a step further. They found pieces of surgical gloves in the master bedroom covered in Colette's blood. Mm-hmm. They found surgical gloves in the cabinet in the kitchen that matched up with the pieces of the surgical gloves found in in the master bedroom. So if you are willing to believe that four individuals broke into this home or found the door locked, unlocked out back and entered the home, managed to go through the home and find the murder weapons, pick their weapons while they're at the scene. They also managed to find surgical gloves and decided to put them on after they've already been inside the home. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Does it? No, it doesn't make any sense. And if you want to take this a step further, well, and hold on a second, because I want to point out something in the story. Like I said, I I think this individual, Jeffrey's smart enough to know how to blur lines. Mm-hmm. I think he's a chronic liar. I think he probably would lie about things that he wouldn't even need to lie about. But when he said in his story something to the effect of that he could tell that one of the the attackers had gloves on, 
Now he's not stating what kind of gloves, but he knows he knows that he used surgical gloves, wear these and smear the blood so they can't get my fingerprint. But I also have to establish that I know that one of the intruders have gloves on them. At the trial, Captain, two very important things happen in this case that stand out from the others. One, we talked about all that that evidence we just discussed, but he hires a really good defense team. You know, this is on par with maybe not the dream team like OJ had, but these are he's got a whole team of lawyers and they kind of set up camp together. So they're all working day and night on Jeffrey McDonald's defense. The defense team decides to hire Joe McGinnis. They wanted a, 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 an author. Joe McGinnis was a, a well-known author at the time. And they hired him because they wanted to, at some point, tell the story, Jeffrey McDonald's story of how his family was killed and tell it from the defense's perspective. So they hire this author and have him hold up with their defense team while they're building their case to defend Jeffrey McDonald. The other thing that happens is that the defense team presents a woman to the court, Helena Stokely, mm-hmm. Helena Stokely. And they present witnesses that say that Helena Stokely told them that she was at the crime scene, that she was at the McDonald house and knows what went down that night. Yeah. That she was all hopped up on acid, wearing the blonde wig, wearing the floppy dong hat. Stokely, when she testifies, she basically says, I don't know where I was that night. I was on drugs. Me and my friends were on drugs. It was not the first night, nor was it the last night that I cannot recall anything that I did that night. I'm a golden God. I'm on drugs. However, the defense is able to point out that she matches given the wig that she would have been wearing, given the floppy hat that she borrowed from a friend, she would have matched the description provided by Jeffrey McDonald. But we also don't know exactly when she borrowed that wig or borrowed that hat. According to her statements, and this was not presented at court, but according to her statements later, she says that she borrowed the wig and the hat for the outing that night. And what's weird about Helena uh, Stokely is her story is going to change and it's going to become more, much more difficult as she tells this story. She starts filling in some of the blanks and then you start to wonder, man, it sounds to me like these four intruders really did enter the house and did carry this out. The short of it is Jeffrey McDonald is convicted of killing his wife and his two daughters, convicted of three homicides. But what we would hear throughout time is all of these witnesses come forward. Helena Stokely told me she was there that night. Oh, her boyfriend at the time was considered to be some kind of violent maniac. And he matches the description of one of the men of the three that could have been with Helena Stokely that night. But of the three that could have been with her, is any of them dead? Well, that's what's difficult. Helena Stokely, the best that she can provide to anybody for the longest time was, I was there that night, but I cannot implicate the other three that were there with me. I was there that night. I saw what went down but I will not tell you who the three people 
were with me that night. One of my problems with her in general is why would you say anything to anyone about these murders or even say that you were there? Yes, you're saying, hey, I'm, I, I, I can't um, tell on the others. But if these other individuals or these deranged, druggy psychopaths, they're going to find you and they're going to kill you. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. I almost feel like, yes, she doesn't know if she was there or not. And yes, she probably has said multiple times, acid is groovy, man. But I think some of it is just we see, especially in the 70s, 70s and the 80s, the popularity of these individuals. I mean, Charles Manson at one point had to be in the top five icons of the world, personalities of the world where everybody has heard that name, has seen his picture. Could it just be that this individual wanted some kind of notoriety and it didn't really matter how it was? Because when push came to shove, when, when she's being talked, when she's talking to reporters, she seems like she's more confident that she was there and that this murder took place when she's talking to people that matter because they could put her in jail. Seems like she clams up a little bit. This case is very difficult to go through for me to to sit in my chair and try to stay neutral or to try to keep a, a level head because I look at this case and I see appeal after appeal after appeal after appeal filed from the McDonald camp. Mm-hmm. I start to wonder how much and how long and how, how costly has keeping Jeffrey McDonald been to to the state and then you take it a step further and you go or is this a huge injustice did these intruders kill his family because then you have you have everybody that that are are mcdonald backers that say how can you have multiple witnesses multiple people come forward that say they believe helena stokely and I, I say this to those people. It doesn't mean that what she is telling you is the truth. Just because you believe her or she told you something, it doesn't mean that that is in fact the truth. Mm-hmm. It just means that that's what she said. With Helena Stokely, she has always kind of been a big issue, a big problem, and also a big reason why the McDonald camp has so many things to question and to appeal in this case. We talked about the unidentified fingerprints. Okay, well, that's a problem for the prosecution. We got into the fibers and the splinters that were not good for McDonald that made him look very guilty. However, when he was tried, it was agreed upon that there were at least two hairs or two locations inside the crime scene where they found hair that they could not match to anyone. Mm-hmm. One of those was a blonde synthetic hair, a fake hair. See, that's that's the Helena Stokely's story was that she borrowed a blonde wig. That's the and problem. entered the home. That's the problem with this damn story. Is like it. Th- this is why it's the great debater, right? Is because again, you go okay. The word "pig" was written in blood using gloves mm-hmm. that a surgeon would wear that you found in the house, it's more likely that the surgeon that killed his family would know where those gloves were. And then he used that as a way to cover up 
these murders and to then say it was these, this hippie satanic group or whatever, right? So a piece of evidence like that goes, oh, well, he's definitely full of shit, right? Mm-hmm. And then they find something like fake hair, blonde. Now, here's my, my issue with that is that that seems like a aha, aha, we guide him moment, right? And if you found that that blonde strand of hair that would come from possibly a wig, then he is totally innocent. But you have two daughters. And how many Barbies do they have? How many? You, to me, you would have to test that fiber. That synthetic hair, yeah. Yeah, that synthetic hair against every single My Little Pony, Barbie doll, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is true. The other thing that looks really bad for McDonald, and this this is, I understand that this case is, you know, heavily debated. I get it. The master debater case. I can, I can understand why. However, I think that what we have here, and I think it's something very unique to any of the, you know, we've covered so many cases, Captain. I think this is a very unique situation where we have what I can only describe to everyone out there as divine intervention. And what that is in the McDonald case is that you have a family of four and you have a statistical anomaly, something that's extremely rare, where each member of the McDonald family, they have a different blood type. Colette is A, Jeffrey is B, Kimberly is AB, and Kristen is O. What did they find at the crime scene? A lot of blood. A lot of the victim's blood. When they figured out and test all the blood in the house, they found that the victim's blood is located in places that it should not be if Jeffrey McDonald's story is correct. Right. So if they found some of his daughter's blood in the master bedroom, that doesn't line up with his story. Correct. The bigger problem for Jeffrey McDonald is they found his blood in places that it should not be, according to his story. Another problem is they did not find his blood where it should have been if you were to believe his story. And that's what I call a little bit of divine intervention, that we had a situation that is so extremely rare like this where you could debate it till you're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, that's God telling us this is what went down. This man murdered his family and he's not going to get away with it. So let me, rather well, than go hold through. Hold on, hold on a second, but because, hold on a second. I know what you're saying, but if we find blood, like if we found the daughter's blood in the master bedroom, one would assume, well, his story just doesn't make any sense, but it's like, but he wouldn't have known what was happening in those rooms. And it's very possible that when they were attacking, when the intruders were attacking the mother, that one of the daughters ran in. You see what I'm saying? Like Right. And that's why I don't want to go through all of the locations of where the three dead victims' blood was found. Right. Because, it, one, it would take us an hour to do so. And this is information that is available to anyone out there if you're so inclined to go looking for it. Plus, we'd sound like super nerds. But I'm going to point out some places that are just downright obvious where the blood should not be. And it, it, you can't explain it away by one victim walking into another victim's room. Okay. So the most damning place that you're going to find dead victims blood in this case is in the living room. 
where he says none of the victims were, where he was attacked by himself by three men and a woman is watching these three men attack Jeffrey McDonald. Mm -hmm. The problem with his story, Captain, is the location of the victim's blood. So this is Kimberly McDonald's blood and Colette's blood. Their blood was found on the March 1970 issue of Esquire magazine. Why is that such a problem for Jeffrey McDonald and his story? The magazine was sitting on the coffee table. There's supposed to be this big, huge struggle between this military man and three other men in this living room. However, the only thing that was disrupted in this entire room was the coffee table. It was knocked over. When you knock over the coffee table, the and police did this test over and over again. It was very difficult for them to get a situation where the coffee table fell on top of the magazine and pinned the magazine. So the magazine is between the edge of the coffee table and the floor, right? Now, it, they did this reenactment multiple times, and it was like one out of, out of dozens of times did they get the coffee table to fall in a way that the magazine fell between the floor and the coffee table. Okay, so it can happen. It could happen. Right. However, according to him, he's already under attack in the living room. That coffee table would have been knocked over while these men were attacking him. Mm-hmm. Mind you, nothing else was disturbed in the living room. Their blood is found on that magazine that was pinned to the floor by the coffee table. So that what that tells you is their blood had to have been placed on that magazine before the coffee table was knocked over. That just means his story is, is wrong. It's a lie. What I'm pointing out here is, is what I believe happened is after he murdered his family, he came in there and knocked over the coffee table. He, he staged the living room to make it appear like he was attacked in that room. And in the process of staging the room, he, because he's the murderer and had his blood on his hands, he's now transferred the blood from his wife and from his daughter, Kimberly onto the magazine itself. Yeah. It could have been him sitting there and pondering, well, what the hell do I do? And where the when the blood was transferred, and then he goes, okay, well now I need to stage this room. And you know where his blood was found, where it should not have been. This is very troubling for Jeffrey McDonald as well. His blood, mind you, he's attacked in the living room. None of his blood is found in the living room at all. Right. Only his wife and daughter Kimberly's blood is found in the living room on that magazine in the living room. His blood is located in the bedroom where Colette was killed. And his blood, more importantly, that's because, I mean, they find him lying next to her. Of course, they're going to find his blood there. But a place where his blood should not have been found was located on the floor, in the kitchen, right in front of the cabinet that was housing the surgical gloves. (laughs) That's That's not good for him. So if we are to believe the blood evidence... It appears that Colette and Kimberly were killed. He goes into the living room to stage the living room to make it look like he was attacked, transfers blood to the the magazine. Then at some point he realizes I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to put some superficial wounds on myself or nobody's going to believe that four people broke in, killed these three people and did nothing to me. So after he harms himself, after he cuts himself, he then went into the kitchen, 
kneeled down, opened up the cabinet, got out the surgical gloves, went back into the bedroom and putting on the gloves because he can't use his bare fingers to write pig on the headboard because then his fingerprints would smudge in the blood. So he puts on the surgical gloves, dips his fingers in Colette's blood and writes pig on the headboard. Yeah, that's a ring, ring, ring. D is gone. D's nuts. Got him. Helena Stokely passed away quite a while ago, in fact. And a lot of people have continued to believe her story. There's some problems with her story. Because when she agreed to be filmed and interviewed by two individuals, she told a story of what happened that night. She said that her and three males went to the McDonald house, the apartment. He was a target. They knew he was a doctor. They targeted him because they knew he was a doctor. They found the back door unlocked. They went into the home and they confronted Jeffrey McDonald in the living room. They were trying to get drugs from him. Obviously, he's not going to have drugs to give them at his house. So they allowed him to use the kitchen phone. He makes a phone call. He can't get whatever they're looking for. And then the men attack him. She says it was out of her control. She didn't know anybody was going to be attacked that night. She just knew they were going to go. They targeted this guy and they were going to get drugs from this guy. When that didn't happen, she said the three men she was with became angry. They thought they could physically force him to get what they were looking for. And this became the attack. And then because they were all on drugs and out of their minds, according to the woman in the floppy hat, they went on and killed McDonald's family. There's some issues with her story. Okay. Again, nobody received a phone call from Jeffrey McDonald that night. His account does not say that the attackers made me call somebody, made me use the phone. And second of all, when asked what the men were using to attack Jeffrey McDonald, were they using a club, a piece of wood, a knife, an ice pick? Nope. Helena Stokely says they were using their fist. And I think sometimes it's hard for people to believe that anybody would come forward. And I, and I don't think that, like I said, when it matters, when she's talking to law enforcement, she's not giving them these piece of, pieces of evidence to lock her up and throw away the key. Mm-hmm. And it seems like she's giving more details or maybe changing those details when there's some publicity involved. I don't know what would motivate somebody to say they were involved in the murders of an innocent wife and a pregnant wife and two beautiful young daughters. I don't know what would possess somebody to say those things. It happens a lot of time where they exclude themselves. And what does she do in all every single one of the stories? She excludes herself. I was there. We're probably there for drugs. And yeah, maybe I said this or maybe I said that, but uh, I didn't kill anybody. That was, that was the other ones. But we've also seen some people, because they've been on drugs, confess to crimes that it was impossible for them to commit. So I, I think some of it is, um, it's just really hard to believe her, especially with the amount of drug use that she had. Well, and this was national news from Jump Street. This was 
big time national news immediately after the murders of these three individuals. And so there are crime scene photos in the newspapers. Jeffrey McDonald's story of what he told the authorities was in the newspapers. She could gather a decent amount of information straight from the media to corroborate some of McDonald's story. But in the end, she couldn't corroborate the whole thing 100%. What's interesting to me is once we go to trial, she comes forward and refuses. I mean, she testifies, but refuses to testify that she was there that night. She's telling all these other people that she was. And what what people would say and, and what the claim ended up being is that the prosecutor sat her down and threatened her. And that's why she refused to testify that her and her friends killed the McDonald family. What was the threat that they claimed the prosecutor threatened her with? They say that he threatened to put her in prison if she testified that she was there that night, that she was involved in the murders. What kind of... I don't understand why anybody would fault a prosecutor for threatening that. Right. If you, Isn't that their job? Like, of course, if you're dumb enough to not understand that if you murder someone, you could go to prison. Uh, I'm just here to remind you of that. That's not a threat. That's the way of the world. That's right. the way this shit works. So basically he's saying, hey, if you confess in the court of law to this murder, which will then get this guy off and he goes free. Well, guess who we're going to charge then? The person that we have on record in court confessing to the murder. That's correct. And let's top that off with this here, Captain. Because for years and years and years, McDonald and his camp have filed appeal after appeal. Not after 10 minutes appeal. ago. No. They've been filing appeals up until, I think, 2009, 2012. Mm -hmm. He was convicted, uh, tried back in 1979. They've been jamming up the courts with this with this nonsense for decades. Well, one of their claims was that an unidentified hair that was found in the hands, in the grip of Colette, it, it's been unidentified for years. McDonald said that hair belonged to the killer, to Colette's killer. And for years and years and years, it remained unidentified. Then, in 2006, March 10th, to be exact, 2006, DNA results confirmed that the hair found in Colette's right hand was her own. And a hair found in Colette's left hand belonged to Jeffrey McDonald. So he tried to use those two hairs to say, I've been wrongfully convicted. When... And again, once we figure out what this evidence actually is, it only points back to him. And one thing that I find so absurd and so strange, bizarrely funny to me, mm -hmm. is Jeffrey McDonald. Wait, you finding something funny? He claims, one, that he's innocent, and then he went on to sue Joe McGinnis, the guy that was hired to write the book, write the Jeffrey McDonald story. He sues McGinnis because... McGinnis writes a book called Fatal Vision, and in that, he explains that McDonald is, in fact, guilty, just like the courts found him, mm -hmm. and he explains why he believes that McDonald was guilty. He said that it was a, it was the perfect storm. It was a, all of this lack of sleep, the working the 24-hour shift and then working again, this complete lack of sleep, McDonald's taking 
diet pills or some kind of pills mm-hmm. that uh, McGinnis discovered. And possibly and taking one, other drugs. So. Well, one of the side effects was going into a rage. Mm-hmm. So you combine that with with his stresses and his lack of sleep and this side effect. And he says that, you know, this is the perfect storm that led to this man that, that otherwise you don't believe would, would be capable of something like this. Yeah. But what I find bizarrely funny in this case is McDonald sues Joe McGinnis. And then he tells the press, he says, you know, this man betrayed me. He was one of my best friends, my girlfriend, you know, obviously after the murders, my girlfriend that I had at the time, not obviously cooked for him, cooked Mm. for Joe McGinnis. Mm. I was betrayed by one of my best friends. Well, guess what? Jeffrey McDonald, there is no bigger betrayal in this world than killing your wife and two daughters. Okay. So I I guess I don't have to ask. I love, I love, I love the, he betrayed me. Wah. Uh. (laughs) Wah. Sorry. Out of all the criminals that we've discussed on the on this show in the garage, mm-hmm. Jeffrey McDonald is one that I hate. He he's he's up there for me, Captain. He's he's on my uh, do not resuscitate list. Yeah, so I I guess I don't have to ask this, but if you're a betting man, your bet goes towards Jeffrey McDonald being guilty of killing his. I will stand up on this table and shout it. As loud as I can. This man is as guilty as I've ever seen. I don't, it's one of those cases. I understand why it gets confusing. There's all these little, there's all these little things that can then muddy the waters. Yeah. There's, there's these little things that you go, wait a second, but what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? No, push them all aside because only one of two things happened. Either he killed them or the intruders did. And his blood evidence tells us. He was moving and manipulating that crime scene because he had to, because he killed them. Yeah, what was it that Denzel Washington said? It's the little things that get you caught. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for letting us be a part of your week. We love you. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at True Crime garage colonel do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful people this week captain we are recommending american justice great crimes and trials by two of my favorites paul Begg and martin fido this is an oldie from 1993 and this is an amazing introduction into true crime american justice features 28 different well-known true crime cases and the authors are not only fantastic true crime authors but paul Begg and martin fido Fido, we have recommended some of his other works on the show before, but these two are two of the most incredible ripperologists ever. Plus, old fans of the great TV series American Justice will love this book, and we have this great title as well as other great titles that you will love on our recommended page available for your viewing and reading pleasure only at truecrimegarage.com. And until next week... Be good, be kind, and don't let it.
Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.